this project allows these local governments to actually have a lever to pull to hopefully uh, affect the quality of service uh, with whatever partners come to the table and make the most sense. Welcome to episode 406 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. This is Jess Del Fiaco, Communications Manager here at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. Today, Christopher talks with John Stavney, Executive Director of the Northwest Colorado Council of Governments, as well as Evan Biaggi, Executive Vice President of Business Development for Mammoth Networks. Christopher, John, and Evan talk about Project Thor, which was established by a group of Colorado communities who decided to band together in order to reduce costs and improve connectivity. Thor provides middle mile service so communities can engage in a variety of solutions to suit their unique local needs. They discuss how Project Thor has evolved and how Mammoth Networks has been involved in the project. John and Evan also tell Christopher about some of the engineering and funding challenges of working to develop a regional network with multiple communities. Now here's Christopher talking with John Stavney and Evan Biaggi about Project Thor. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, and I'm speaking today with two patient guests, John Stavney, the Executive Director of the Northwest Colorado Council of Governments. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Christopher. Great to be here. Wonderful. And we also have Evan Biaggi, the Executive Vice President of Business Development for Mammoth Networks. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. And thank you both for your, your patience. We just we just did a great introduction, and I forgot to record it. So we're going to do um, do that same thing again now. Um, <laughs> Mammoth Networks is a, it's a wonderful, large um, wireless and fiber optic network uh, in the West. Um, but uh, for people who want to know a lot more about it, um, we did an interview with Brian last year at the Mountain Connect Conference, uh, one of the, the wonderful events um, uh, for broadband um, gatherings in the entire country, uh, which will unfortunately um, be postponed this year, like so many other things. Um, but uh, let me just start, Evan, let me just ask you to give me a 30-second sketch of what Mammoth does. Sure. So Mammoth Networks is traditionally a uh, middle-mile uh, aggregator of broadband services, and we've focused quite a bit on uh, providing uh, resilient and uh, backup-type middle-mile uh, connections to uh, more rural areas than than urban. Uh, we focus in the New Mexico, Colorado, Wyoming, Montana markets more than anywhere else, and uh, we provide uh, backhaul services. We we take bits and pieces from various carriers and stitch them together in, in very unique ways. So uh, we like to take on some of the the more difficult uh, and hard to get to uh, areas and come up with solutions for them. And you are working with a variety of partners, um, John Stavney. Um, with Northwest COG, the, the Council of Governments, which I think is a, it's a wonderful approach in Colorado of keeping regional local governments coordinated. Um, you, John, you're the one that actually owns Project Thor. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, what Project Thor is going to be, is, is actually already doing. I think of it as the, the hunky hunky network named after one of my favorite series of movies. <laughs> right. Or Norse gods, right. Right. I mean, I suppose pop culture or, you know, sort of thousands of years of, of culture, but um, I go for the pop culture. <laughs> there you go. Project Thor. Uh, it's not an acronym, um, 
But so Northwest COG, council governments, we've been around since the early 70s. The state of Colorado, like many states actually, has these regional organizations that are, uh, you know, represent local governments and deliver services. So we have a variety of different services that that we deliver across the mountainside of central Colorado. Uh, we're just on the other side of um, Rocky Mountain National Park from Fort Collins and Boulder and Denver uh, and serve, uh, for a lot of your listeners uh, who may know a little bit of Colorado, Summit County, Eagle County, Pitkin County, Grand County, and, and Jackson County, which contain uh, Winter Park Ski Resort, Aspen, Breckenridge, Vail, uh, among others. So, um, we have a number of services that we've you know, provided over the years. We're the Agency for Aging, providing funding for senior services. Uh, we inter- inspect elevators across the region, um, and we have a business loan fund uh, and do weatherization. Uh, it's low-income qualified. So a basket of different services that make more sense at a regional level than at a local level. And we've been involved in broadband for about six years or so, uh, stretching back a little bit further than that to the conversation about broadband. We've had a number of, of our uh, member jurisdictions, towns and counties, who have been involved in local broadband projects for some time. Uh, top of mind, uh, Vail, uh, which has hosted a very large events, as you might guess, has a wireless, a municipal wireless network to, to bring in tens of thousands of people and be able to allow communications uh, and, and have these large events. And they've been doing that for many years. Steamboat Springs, which is also at the northern end of our, of our region, has uh, been doing local broadband uh, for uh, roughly the same amount of time, almost a decade, really. And then you've got Glenwood Springs, which has been in the electrical delivery business. Um, most municipalities in Colorado don't do electricity. They're rural uh, electric co-ops that deliver most of that. So anyhow, we've had some, some seasoned um, members who have been in the broadband business. We did a regional plan and then brought on a, uh, a coordinator, somebody to provide technical assistance across the region. Nate Wallowitz has been in that role now for a number of years with us. And what's great with, with Nate's role uh, is he's able to assist uh, at, at no additional cost to our members, uh, those communities that want to explore uh, how they might play a role in, in uh, improving broadband locally. And each one is, has taken a bespoke uh, approach to that. There really isn't a single way this is delivered or a single purpose. Uh, we have some communities like Vail really just wanted uh, cheaper, more robust broadband um, to serve mainly themselves in their hospital and others like the town of Eagle uh, just up the road on I-70 uh, went from sort of, yeah, we want to just replace at the municipal a building having uh, a large carrier serve us and we want to be on this network so we, we have some levers to pull to, uh, after, in the course of a year of thinking about this and being involved, actually wanting to deliver municipal broadband. So Project Thor really came out of discussions with these different localities doing their projects. Uh, and, 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 you know, we provided help with RFPs and how you navigate the landscape of this, this uh, industry and come to find out that a lot of these local projects just don't have robust, affordable middle mile going mm-hmm. to them. And, right. and that's really the origin of, of Project Thor. 
Yes. Uh, one of the things that I, I love about the way you approach that is to discuss the local groups because Colorado, I think, has been one of the best states for allowing solutions to bubble up that actually fit the local circumstances because um, people on the ground are developing them rather than having the state come up with a solution and sort of imposing it on people. Um, let me let me and let me just ask um, um, Evan to tell us a little bit about what Project Thor is doing because if there's one thing I know from more than ten years of discussing these kinds of networks, the first thing people assume is it's connecting people in their homes. Uh, what is what is Project Thor uh, accomplishing today now that it's lit? Well, first and foremost, uh, Project Thor does not go to uh, people's homes or even to businesses for that matter. Uh, Project Thor is a middle mile transport network, uh, and that's really that's really all that it is, and that's what it was meant to be. What John was mentioning is there were a number of broadband projects throughout this region, and everyone was taking a, a slightly different approach as as communities normally do. But the one thing that each community needed or needs with whatever their broadband approach is is quality uh, middle mile. So really. When we started looking at each of these uh, communities and their needs, uh, what ended up happening is we went around and, you know, talked to each each individual community, and ultimately we designed and engineered Thor to just provide uh, resilient connectivity in and out of each community. So the entire project Thor is built on uh, various ring architecture, and all of those rings essentially. Uh, terminate down in uh, in Denver at one of the major internet hubs. And that allows us to provision uh, network transport services in an open access fashion to each of these communities so that they can get the transport down to Denver. And then at Denver, they can interconnect with whatever upstream carriers they, they so choose. You know, we've also provided a kind of a default connection if they don't uh, have an, an existing carrier through Mammoth Networks where we are already uh, interconnected with several upstream carriers and have a, a blended product there that folks can uh, connect to. And we've even taken it as far to say, hey, as, as aggregated demand increases across the network, we'll you know, continue to provide a, a lower cost of that IP transit uh, down in Denver to all of the, the communities that are connected through Mammoth there. So really, uh, the, the separation, Northwest COG is, is the network owner, and it's a transport network uh, in and out of each of the, the member communities. And uh, it, it's open access. What we've what we've done is we've we've created some terms. You know, everybody loves terms. Uh, each community that is on Project Thor has what we are calling a meet me center, and that's really where that local community uh, meets the transport. Uh, it's kind of akin to a, a train station, so to speak, uh, where you can get on and off Project Thor. And then we've left it up to each local community to uh, take that middle mile and that connectivity and uh, interconnect with either their anchor institutions, uh, other ISPs, or as John mentioned, some are uh, doing their own uh, muni-type network. We actually did an interview with uh, Tim Miles several years ago about the the Meet Me Room that I is another one of those solutions that uh, bubbled up and, and I think has been very important, uh, but people can get more uh, background on that there. We'll have a, a link to that in our on the show page associated with the show. Um, but I want to, John, I want to ask you, um, one of the things that, that I think 
um, people also may assume is that these are areas in which there was no broadband. But, um, you know, Yampa Valley has been building, the Electric Association there has been building um, a network. Um, you know, many of these communities had some form of access. You have, um, as part of the project, you have a, a healthcare um, organization. Um, I think they already had some access, but it, it wasn't good enough, is, is my understanding. There were some problems with it. I want to I want to correct that a little bit. So Yampa Valley Electric, they are served by Project Soar. They are serving the community of Craig, Colorado, is just launching broadband services. So they okay. are new mm-hmm. to the, the broadband uh, business. Um, and they also serve Steamboat Springs uh, and, and we're a partner in NCB, uh, Northwest Colorado Broadband, the Tim Miles, uh, who's from the school district project you're talking about, where um, that community had anchor institutions that the municipality, the county, uh, the school district, and a couple other key partners who got together and just said, hey, uh, incumbent uh, serving this, this isolated community, you're going to negotiate with all of us. We're a co-op and we're going to pool our money. And they did their own fiber loop. And and really, that was a lot of the, the, the origin of sort of, you know, the genius of, of Thor is it is a co-op, uh, a coalition of the willing. But you're right. Almost every one of our communities, I, I think a good exception might be Redcliffe, and there's been some good news about that. They did not have any internet service or cell service, um, and they're not directly served by Thor, but we did help them get that, uh, uh, serve their small community. Almost every one of the communities in, in this part of Colorado has some level of service. And, and I think the the crux there is this is a really difficult part of the state, um, like a lot of the West, to serve. I mean, the the critical mass of people, um, customers, if you will, uh, is is really spread out. Now we're, we're we're concentrated in these communities, but even the communities oftentimes have you know hills and valleys and aren't sort of like growing out from a, a, a core center. Uh, and so you know, with respect, it's a difficult region to serve. Um, and so. You know, complaints over the years were lack of investment. You know, oftentimes service would go out and be out for periods of time uh, and then costly service compared to urban areas. So, yes, um, most of these communities um, have uh, at least one incumbent provider. And some of them, like Breckenridge, are served by multiple and still wanted to be involved in this because um, a variety of reasons. Evan, I'm I'm curious about the cost because I feel like if if we're talking to someone and saying, well, we're going to build, <laughs> I should say, we're going to establish more than 400 miles of, of network across some of the most expensive areas to build in the United States. And you'd say, yes, it's going to cost you $2.6 million. <laughs> you might be surprised at how, <laughs> how little that is. How does that work out? Well, so we took a, a, a different approach. Uh, so w- what we looked at is we, we said, hey, these are all of the different communities that would like to be on Project Thor. And we really started peeling back the layers on what network infrastructure exists, who owns it, how we could use it perhaps in a different fashion than it's being used today. And to be honest, the the engineering was a little bit of a challenge as we uh, were trying to figure out which communities wanted to participate, which communities didn't want to participate. It it was uh, a continually changing game with uh, engineering and, and cost modeling. So as we uh, finalized the the list of communities that we uh, wanted to include in Project Thor, we ended up with uh, 12 official Meet Me centers that were hosted by 10 different entities. A couple of those entities have multiple uh, Meet Me centers. 
And we utilized existing network resources from various different uh, carriers and uh, entities to stitch together the network that is Project Thor. Um, really, the, the, there was not an existing carrier that had the entire infrastructure that we wanted, and uh, they weren't certainly using it in a way that was going to provide the, the resilient uh, services that we needed. So uh, most of the network uh, has been built using uh, dark fiber elements that uh, we've been able to obtain. One of our major partners was the Colorado Department of Transportation that provided dark fibers uh, along the I-70 route. Uh, but we do have uh, other fibers that uh, Mammoth was able to obtain through other carriers such as uh, Strata Networks, uh, CenturyLink, Comcast uh, has some elements, uh, even Zao has a, a piece in this network. So what we did is we used different, I call them puzzle pieces, to essentially build this network that most of it existed today, but just not in this manner. So uh, keeping the costs down was a huge element in the success of this. And it allowed us to uh, focus on uh, you know, getting some grant dollars and using that, namely for some local builds to connect to those elements, as well as uh, the electronics that are needed to, uh, to light the network in certain areas. So that's essentially uh, how we were able to do what we did on uh, such a tight budget. And John, I'm curious how the um, Northwest COG actually was able to come up with uh, the money. Um, I I never want to miss an opportunity to praise uh, DOLA and the the matching grants from the Department of Local Affairs of the state. You know, Evan referred to the sort of evolving nature of who we like to call the coalition of the willing, right? So we have, you know, 28 member jurisdictions, 10 of whom um, bought into this project. And, And interestingly enough, we talked about how the, the projects um, are designed with different purposes locally. They also have different local champions, you know, so in Grand County, uh, the real need and the folks that sort of gravitated to us in this project were that the two medical centers, one medical center, um, but in two locations. Um, and, you know, some of them were cities or municipalities and some of them were counties. Um, and as you alluded to earlier, Yampa Valley Electric, uh, which is serving Craig, Colorado, probably the most furthest out on the loop away from Denver. We didn't know as we were moving forward, you know, it's kind of we hit different points when we had, uh, are you in with a letter of interest? We'll take that letter of interest to DOLA as sort of a promise and go seek a grant. Are you in with a contract, right, which is assuring money? And, you know, during each sort of round of, of, of that, the, the group just slightly shifted and changed. And, and of course, from Evan's standpoint, having to, to engineer the, the network, um, it, it mattered a lot. We had a, a running spreadsheet that Evan put together, Evan with Networks put together, where we could show if, if this community drops out, and they weren't uh, equal numbers, right, um, then the costs go up for everybody else monthly here, or this, the startup costs. But so we took this this group that that we sort of you know came together and we helped try to help stay together uh, with the promise of of an investment, and took that to Dola and and got a million dollar grant from Dola for this basically two point five two point six million dollar uh, project, and that's the infrastructure that Evan was referring to, including uh, some reduced costs. You know, the, the main part of our backbone, 178 miles of the 400 miles is on 
Colorado Department of Transportation fiber. So negotiating a favorable public entity to public entity rate for fiber that they already had that they weren't using um, really helped make this project possible and kept the monthly costs down. You know, roughly half of the cost, we had a second grant actually that helped pay for, from DOLA, Department of Local Affairs, that helped pay for three years of the first part of our rolling agreement with CDOT. Uh, that was another, you know, $250,000, $270,000. It was awarded for two seventy, dollars ended up being two fifty dollars and change uh, was what it was actually billed for. So, yeah, we've cobbled together financing uh, from local jurisdictions because DOLA, the state, always wants to have skin in the game, and it's 50% local match or more to go get those state dollars. That's really where the financing came from, was these local agencies and grant dollars. And we really played the the aggregator, uh, the organizer, the facilitator at Northwest COG to that. We don't have any COG money, so to speak, lots of time, but we don't have any COG dollars into the project. If we could solve <laughs> a lot of problems with this low expenditure, we wouldn't have a, a broadband program. You, you've done a, a great job of, of figuring out how to, how to thread this all together and make it work. Um, I wanted to just touch on the operating expenses. How are the ongoing expenses going to be paid for? Yeah, so they're paid for through a contract with each of the local jurisdictions. And so they're paying a monthly fee to basically maintain the infrastructure and, and for the most part, pay uh, the operator to do their work. Gorefus Cog is not taking a cut out of it. You know, one thing we will have to add in is as we get more partners and it becomes a little more uh, robust to start covering the cost um, or part, part of the cost of our coordinator, our director, broadband director's time. But right now he's covered separately through another program. It's really unique when you take uh, these 10 entities uh, and you bring them together and you, you put them into this uh, cooperative type model. What we've essentially done is we've taken those operating costs and we've uh, divvied them up based on uh, size of Meet Me Center and, and a couple other metrics. And we've actually got this down to a point where it's like each entity has a share in Thor. We've even developed a model with allocating bandwidth across the network where they can uh, trade shares, so to speak, if, if one entity is not using uh, enough capacity or the capacity that they you know, they have excess capacity, they can, quote unquote, sell those shares to the next entity. So it's a really unique model. Uh, when, when you start talking about bringing that many entities together, um, man, it, it, it's not an easy uh, task, number one. Uh, but number two, it, it's a great group. And uh, they discuss on a you know, biweekly steering committee calls, you know, essentially the, the operations and uh, you know, how this network is going to continue to evolve. One of the, the other things that this project has accomplished is something that, that is fairly unique in my experience, um, which is uh, Ron Rizzuto, the, uh, a professor at the University of Denver, um, who, in my experience, has never um, taken a position that is opposed to the incumbent interests, uh, someone who is as opposed to municipal networks as he is unencumbered by facts relating to municipal networks. Uh, he, he praised this and said that he thought this is a, a good example of of um, government um, stepping up and um, and taking care of something the private sector wasn't going to do. And so um, I was very glad to see that. At the same time, in, in a similar, in the same article, actually, um, by uh, Tamara Chung from the uh, 
um, now the Colorado Sun, who's just one of the best broadband reporters in the nation at the local level. Um, she quoted CenturyLink, who is takes a different view. <laughs> and I want to ask you about this, Evan. Um, CenturyLink says the new network, quote, does not add any significant route diversity and unfortunately does not provide the last mile facilities needed to deliver broadband to rural Colorado consumers and businesses, um, da, 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 saying that um, we hope that future taxpayer funded projects are focused on meeting the needs of unserved and underserved Coloradans rather than competing with existing facilities and networks. And so I'm just curious if you can respond to that. It seems like maybe we didn't need to do any of this work. <laughs> well, you know, Chris, as, as we mentioned earlier on, the, the intent of Thor is not to provide that last mile access. It is a, a middle mile network transport uh, network. And, and the last mile access is, is handled by the local uh, communities themselves. So, uh, you know, again, just, you know, for, for clarity's sake, that's, uh, that's what Thor is and that's the intention of Thor. Um, you know, also, as I mentioned earlier, we've created the redundancy that that we want on this network. There have been far too many times where a single fiber cut impacts an entire community. We've had 911 uh, services impacted due to fiber cuts uh, that are on the incumbents network. And, uh, you know, th th this is just the fuel for the fire, so to speak, in uh, really determining the need for this. Um, we also have some communities where we know that uh, CenturyLink fiber is single threaded and we've used alternate carriers to get to those communities. So, uh, you know, certainly CenturyLink has uh, stepped up uh, recently in some communities. We know that. Is that a result of Project Thor or, or these uh, different efforts? Maybe. Um, even if it is, we'll call that a win. But, you know, ultimately, this is the network that the communities wanted, and it was designed using various elements uh, that, that do include CenturyLink elements, but uh, for the most part, uh, want to complement what CenturyLink has so that uh, there's true resiliency across the, the region. I think it's it's important to to note. I mean, I, one of the things that we've seen is Comcast is expanding in some of these areas too, and it's it's not clear that um, what what necessarily the role is if that would have happened otherwise, or or what their decision making is. But you know, Project Thor is is not something that's meant to um, uh, to you know harm those companies, right? I mean, like I think sometimes we we see these and we feel like, oh, well, CenturyLink suppose there must be some sort of um, you know conflict there. But these a project like Project Thor, this is about um, building a, a foundation that anyone can then build off of, right? I mean, that's the thing that it provides because CenturyLink is not able to prioritize the kind of investments in, in rural Colorado that we may want to see in rural Colorado. So. You know, I just I want to make sure that this is something where we're like saying CenturyLink sucks. No one's saying that you're using part of CenturyLink fiber. Um, they they want to suggest I feel like that there's no need for this. And so John, I want to I want to come back to you quick because one of the things that I read was that I um, mean there was healthcare implications for uh, the uh, the lack of reliability you had before. And and I'm just curious, you want to tell us any stories from um, you know Northwest Cog about why greater um, resiliency and, and redundancy was particularly important. You know, uh, and Tamara used the quote um, from uh, the chair of Middle Park Health when, when we went up and met with their board, uh, and this is a little over a year ago, and, 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 and talking about whether they, you know, would tie into Project Thor. These rural hospitals are not 
uh, if you will, full service hospitals, you know, so they, they have to really pick and choose what services they can and they can afford to provide. And, and so one of the things that, that is a challenge is uh, a good bit of their imaging, um, you know, they, they have the tools there, but the specialists who are, who are then assessing, you know, those images and the doctor who was quoted in, uh, in Tamara's story uh, was talking about a stroke victim, for instance, where the, the, t- the clock is really, really ticking and, and they need to, to send this, this image over the Internet to their specialists elsewhere and, and get, you know, assessment and then, you know, get told back what they should do, you know, and how regular outages and then if they had to go to their backup system, uh, how it, it went from being timely to you know, life and death. So the drama of that, uh, I, I think, just underscored for us how important it is. Um, and, and we know rural hospitals are, are struggling these days uh, financially, and we also know how critical they are to delivery of health care. You know, that, that is something we're really proud of, having Middle Park Health be a partner and have two locations on the network. Yes, and I would I would just say as we're as we're wrapping up, I've been doing more thinking about telehealth a lot lately. Who hasn't? <laughs> um, Two point six million dollars in a million dollar operating cost per year. You don't have to have a lot of medical uh, benefits from that to justify that. Just from uh, medical benefits. Sure, sure, and I, and I want to go back to the the incumbent discussion. You're right. We're we're not uh, set out to. Uh, beat any of the incumbents, if you will. Um, but we are there to provide some competition. And, you know, and I've listened to too many meetings with, with end users um, in, you know, community I live in, in Eagle, um, you know, complaining about uh, their services. And I, and I can't uh, explain why they are as they are. And CenturyLink will send people up and listen. Um, but there's a lot of frustration in these communities. And, and, and what happens to the people who are elected officials who are, you know, have convened these meetings with their citizens and with incumbents, they realize really they don't have a lever to pull, you know, to say, uh, hey, would you step up to the plate? In some places they have. Mammoth is a good example in some other network, in some other locations that, that Evan could talk about, where um, along among others, sort of the, the, the smaller, hungrier ISPs, if you will, that, that have a conversation with the community of, we could deliver this if you helped us with that. If we had that tower location or, you know, you built this fiber here. Um, so those conversations are going on. They just don't really happen very much in these smaller communities with the big incumbents. Um, and so they're kind of a black box. They're kind of a black box of we don't know where their, their funding, uh, you know, was spent from the federal government to, to uh, invest in these communities, to serve underserved communities and rural communities. We don't know what their plans are. Um, we don't know, you know, if they're heading towards de-investing or if we know they're investing in the next generation, you know, on, on in, the, in the urban centers and understand from a market standpoint that. But so there isn't, there isn't that kind of transparency. This project um, allows these local governments to actually have a lever to pull to hopefully uh, affect uh, the quality of service. However, they can do that uh, with whatever partners come to the table and make the most sense. Uh, and that's the exciting thing for these communities is that they're not just sitting back at this critical infrastructure, which is what broadband is these days, and just waiting, you know, uh, without any anything more than broad assurances. They're able to actually act. If the incumbents step up to the plate and improve services, great. 
um, we cheer for that. So I, I wanted to give that, that, that thought about our relationship with this project to, to the incumbents. I'm glad you did. And I, I feel like that's a, a very good place to, to wrap up. So let me let me thank you, uh, John. Thank you, Evan. Uh, this has been a wonderful discussion. And, and I'm so thankful for the work you've done for Northwestern Colorado. Thank you, Christopher. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks a ton. That was Christopher talking with John Stavney and Evan Biaggi. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at meaningnetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at meaningnetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow meaningnetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at meaningnetworks. Subscribe to this and the other podcasts from ILSR, Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arna Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was episode 406 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.